Welcome back to World Beat. I am George Collins. Remind you, we are talking with Kat Carey. So, Kat, when we left off, you had just arrived in the United Kingdom. Uh, Theresa May has just gotten the Golden Throne. And coming from stateside and knowing and witnessing what you did about American politics, I'm curious for your insight, as you became more involved with UK politics, not just like in an official capacity, but just as a consumer, what were some of the differences, maybe even similarities that you see between the two systems, not necessarily in terms of like civic practice or anything, but just in terms of political culture? Um, we touched on a little bit in part one about uh, the way people think about partisan voting and things like that. What are some of your biggest takeaways? Um, some of my biggest takeaways are that um, so I, I moved here about the same time that I if you couldn't tell, I'm an NPR person. I do like listening to NPR. Um, so their London correspondent kind of moved over in 2016. And I've gotten to meet with him once. And, and we've kind of talked about politics. And it's so different in the UK compared to Scotland. Because even though I didn't really get very immersed in politics, like I didn't dive straight in. I you kind of get consent, right, from from the people around you. That like, no, your voice matters. Well, that doesn't exist down in London, but that exists up here in Scotland where, you know, it was very, I mean, I remember kind of watching the 2017 election going, oh, well, like, what do you do here? Like, I think I would vote for a party that supports independence, but like is labor against independence, you know, and that wasn't the main thing. It was all about Brexit. You kind of, that was the issue in that 2017 election. Um, I remember thinking, I remember I was in school with, cause you know, these, these ancient universities are like the Ivy leagues almost. Uh, so there's like this lady who is a Tory and she goes, well, you know, the Tories are just like the Democrat party, democratic party. And I was like, are they now? And, you know, just trying to fit that in my head of how did these things like, because Tory conservative is not the same as Republican conservative. And are they either of them conservatives up to, for debate? But uh, I think that the Tories kind of take like the soulless corporate centrism of, of the Democrats that are in the very center to right of the Democratic Party. Um, and like the absolute. Ne- so like Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin and like to lesser like Nancy Pelosi, like some of the ones that aren't bad. Right. I mean. Yeah, whatever. Um <laughs> And then you take like the nastiness of the Republican Party. You take like the the Jim Jordan and um, like those kind of guys and just how nasty and like, ha ha, we can get our way. And the Ted Cruz is like, you take that, that to me is the Tory party. Mm-hmm. They're not quite as actually conservative, but they're really nasty and soulless. <laughs> well, well, and it, it, this actually brings to something, to mind something, excuse me. And I think I brought this up when I talked to uh, to Neil Scott as well. I remember a fascinating article in The Guardian. I think it was about three years ago. It, it was right around the time that Boris Johnson was in the run-in for prime minister, when it was like him and Jeremy Hunt, which I remember looking at and thinking, oh, man, that if that's the best that you guys got to vote on, I'm, I'm filled with sympathy. But it, it was a whole piece about how these um, – Oxford, Cambridge, and, and even before that, these uh, this boarding school system that a lot of these elite kids end up going into, and then that pipeline goes right into politics and how 
Okay, I'll put it this way. I remember when I was when I started around the time I joined on Gag. Of course, I wanted to get more informed about UK politics for obvious reasons, and so I remember watching parliamentary meetings and things like that. And the first thing I thought of is I listened to it, and there's all this jeering, there's all this shouting. You know, people are talking shit from the peanut gallery. (laughs) And after I read that, I was just like, "Damn, this is a total sea change." And then I read that article, and I'm like. God damn, that's what this is. Like this this sounds like a, a schoolyard right about now. And you know, the Tories especially representing that, it makes a lot of sense. And 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 I remember, you know, people would draw comparisons between Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, but I gotta be honest, I'm not actually sure how much that holds up. Maybe in some respects, but it's like Donald Trump at least tried to appear like an everyman, at least in the campaign. I think once he got into once he got into office, um, I mean, he governed like a pretty straight Republican, if you ask me. Boris Johnson don't even try that. Like, <laughs> Boris Johnson doesn't even try to, like, con the working class. It's very obvious who he is. And that just seems to be a streak that runs in a lot of the Tory leadership. There's no checks and balances, really. Imagine Trump with, without checks and balances. Just, you know, that's how the system is here. I mean, in America, for all its faults, the Constitution was designed to not be the British system, which has not changed that much, honestly. Um, well, I, and- I don't know. It's like it either hasn't changed much or the fact that they have to kind of make things up as they go along because there isn't an enshrined standard might mean it changes every damn day. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the constitution is a flawed, it's a flawed document, but like everything's going to be flawed. Like it's, it's actually pretty decent to last this long. And, you know, obviously like, I'd like to see some other, some new amendments come through and things like that. But uh, yeah, this constitutionalist system is for the birds. Like it's, it's no good. And then like, we were talking about how the Tories map on in America, well, like labor, I was, you know, you're kind of a lefty in America and you think, oh, I'll be, I'll be in labor. Right. That that's who, that's my, that's my team. That's my family. Right. And it's not like, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, as much like as much as socialism is still is is less of a like it, it's been more of an institution here that's been allowed and not as much vilified it's been branded and like packaged and people can be socially conservative socialists which it took me a while to wrap my right my mind around that because you have to kind of be open-minded to be even call yourself a socialist in america so people are usually very socially liberal and socialist and when you say you're socialist, you kind of wrap that all in there. Um, but labor is like, I mean, I just think of it as like the union boss of the police, the union boss of the teachers, and the union boss of like teamsters, whatever. Like if they had a party and are they in it for themselves or are they in it for the workers or are they in it to keep themselves in a job? Like that's what labor is to me. Mm-hmm. That's my quick take on that. Well, and, and then there's... I remember the Lib Dems were something for like a couple minutes <laughs> in the yeah. in the 2019 elections. But no, I, I actually remember, I legitimately asked, I can't remember who it was. Maybe I just posted it like in a, in a comment thread somewhere. I was like, can someone explain to me like what the point of the Lib Dems is? <laughs> because mm. I, and it was a genuine question. I legitimately did not know who this party was supposed to serve at the time. And um, I did get an answer that I guess at one point they actually meant something, but now they just kind of like are guys who were there 
and they can be voted for. <laughs> well, it's almost like it's it's people who can't bring themselves to vote Tory. And like maybe they aren't like socially conservative, like the liberal Democrats are more like socially liberal and like we're open. But a lot of it's performative. When I think of performative wokeness, I think of the Lib Dems. I think of a bunch of white guys who like to go to the pub, who like to go out like, no, come join us. Everybody's welcome. But then like only if they get to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of um, like the uh, kind of like the woke HR department until you start mentioning unions and then all that's going to go out the window, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And it's interesting in the difference between Scottish Lib Dems and UK Lib Dems. And, you know, their their party kind of swelled in numbers from Brexit and then kind of fumbled it. So, like, they've kind of had two, you know, they were in the coalition, which was bad. It was a bad idea. They did bad things. You know, it killed the party. And then Brexit so, somewhat revived them. But, like, they've had somebody who's like a knight be the leader two out of the last three, you know, Um why? Uh, I don't get that. I mean, don't get me started on the aristocracy. <laughs> I could go off about the aristocracy. <laughs> now, and, and then turn into Scotland. That same article made a point that you look at someone like Nicola Sturgeon, who is who ain't cut from the Oxford-Cambridge cloth, right? I guess Oxbridge is the term they use for that. And mm-hmm. and you can see it just even in the way she gives speeches, the way she conducts herself. It's like, look, regardless of what you think of her, there's a very clear difference between what goes on here and what goes on down in Westminster. What has been your evaluation of Scottish politics, especially as it differs from those down in like London and what comes out of there? I think it's very, very different. Um, Although there's still like a a hangover or like this cultural memory that some things are very British in the way that they do things. Um, They also design and and like, this was like labor and you know, that was a big player in designing this devolved parliament to not be exactly like Westminster. Um, If you kind of, if anybody knows about the, like the European parliament in Brussels, to me, it seems like kind of a mixture of the European parliament and like, filled with like the memory of British people, I guess. Um, but it, it's, um, it's different. Um, it's really, I pay more attention to Hollywood than I do to Westminster because, you know, it really, it really hit home that, you know, Scotland couldn't veto Brexit. So Scotland can't, it can vote all one way and it really doesn't affect whatever is going to happen. It's kind of like in the U S when people go, why does Wyoming have two senators? And you go, because look at what happens to Scotland in the UK. You can't just base stuff solely on your population, right? All these things are imperfect. And it doesn't really, giving Wyoming that much say doesn't always turn out in my way of thinking, usually ideologically. But, um, you know, here, I mean, Nicholas Sturgeon has done everything with at least one hand tying behind her back. And I think that's what brings Scottish politics to another level. I think that's why it's so good because to make an argument that you should break away, you have to be better. You can't be lazy. You can't like take the shortcuts that they take and they get away with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And when do you start to become more involved in the Scottish political scene? Um, I remember... Like, I, I remember, like, watching the election, and, and like I said, in 2017, and going, oh, it's over already. It's like, the polls close, and then it was over. It was very interesting. Um, 
But um, in 2018, and I think back to it, like a lot of the people that I hung out with were weren't overtly political, but always were like, well, yeah, I'd vote for independence if it happened. But a lot of people didn't talk about it, right? Well, a friend of ours was like, come to this independence march with us. And we're like, well, yeah, our kids are Scottish, right? Like, they're growing up here. We, we want to stay here. So, yeah, maybe we should go. Um, and when we went there, that's where people started going like, no, no, no. Like, it's not like that here. It's not like in America or, or down south where you have to be a citizen and then maybe we'll let you have a say. You have a say right now. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it was like, oh, if you agree on independence, like we want you to speak out about it, which is smart and it's fair. Um, but that really is the thing here is like I was able to vote in the last election at Holyrood. Um, so, be, you know, I'm still on a visa, but being able to vote is kind of putting your money where, the, where your mouth is. Right. Refugees can vote here and everything. Um, I don't really know where I was going. But, oh, so that's how I started getting involved with grassroots. Yes. Things. Um, I didn't join the Democrats until I moved to Scotland. That's fun fact, because uh, I always lived in a state where there was open primaries. So I never really saw the need. Like I volunteered the, for the Bernie Sanders campaign. I don't know if that's a surprise to anybody. I'm probably not here. Um, like just way, way out on the left in America, um, where I didn't really think the Democrats represented me very much. But um, state residency is Florida. So that's where my grandparents live. Uh, so I had to registers a Democrat. So it took me a really long time to agree to join a political party here. Uh, And, you know, you hear national, it's the Scottish national party. It's not nationalist, even though in the UK, they'll say that all the time just to like make people go, Oh, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. It's it's Um, one of those, uh, it's one of them BBC lines, right? Because nationalist is such a dirty word. And it's like, which I don't even, I don't even know that it is because it's like, well, look, would, would we call like Palestinian nationalism like bad? you know, or, or Vietnamese back in 1960s. And um, I'll let you finish your point, but uh, I actually, there are reasons why I think that Scottish Nationalist Party ain't the worst thing, but sorry, keep going. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, I, I do think that the only term, like only context I'd ever heard nationalists growing up or like really in my life before moving here was uh, like the KKK, like white nationalists, you know what I mean? Or like, or that, like, I think the Black Panthers are Black nationalists, right? I'm not sure if they were or not. But, like, that's what I thought of immediately, the KKK. I'm like, oh, God, no. Like, I can't do this. And it took me a really long time to be able to, like, put in my head, you know, like, my friend who's from Portugal, he's like, well, I'm not a nationalist. I'm in the SP, but you don't have to be nationalist. You just do what you want, you know? Like, stop, stop worrying about the labels. And, you know, living in a different country and, and living in a different system and, and studying the politics of that system, you start to realize that words don't really matter anymore. So I, it was a combination of like grassroots. Yes, is very repetitive and, and it's repetitive on purpose. Like you have to campaign, you have to say the same things over and over. But I was getting bored. I was just bored and I wanted to be able to like contribute in some way. And a few of my friends had been asking me and like, no, just join the local branch and like you can go do this or that. And at least you have something to do. So I joined uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, like January, February, 2020 is when I joined the SNP. And um, my, so my husband joined the Scottish Greens for a while, but I I can't say that I disagree. Like I, I like the politics of the Scottish Greens, but I'm used to being in a big, huge party with a bunch of people I disagree with. (laughs) 
<laughs> if that makes sense. The Scottish Greens is a small party who they agree on almost everything. The thing is, is that you start arguing nuance very, very strenuously with all the people you're around. And like, we have all the centrist dads that, that need somebody who have the, the patience of being a lefty in America <laughs> and talking to people who, you know, who try to make them see that it's not, you know, the devil. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a place for me here and, and that I, I wouldn't say I needed in a way that like, that seems a little bit too like too hubristic. I might depart or something. You know what I mean? Like, but I feel like there's, there's something for me to do in SMB. Mm-hmm. And what I'm thinking about, you know, as you, as you come into this leadership role and gotten more acquainted with the political system, role does Scotland play in UK politics? I know that's a broad question, but the the thing that's been really fascinating for me as a as someone looking from the outside is I look at Brexit and I don't actually think that Brexit exposed anything new. I think it just broke open some fissures that have always been there in the UK and that were just paved over for so long. Because, you know, if all you watched was the BBC, you'd think that, oh, yeah, everybody's just one happy family. Yeah, sure, we fight, but everybody does, right? No, I mean, from from everything I've understood, there's always been quite a bit of enmity in not just Scotland, but, you know, Northern Ireland, Wales, you know, these are places that have that too. Actually, uh, one of my uh, good friends, he from the UK, moved out here for a little while. Now he's back over there. And he once told me, he was like, man, if I'm like in Cardiff, I do not go into the pubs <laughs> because as soon as, soon as someone hears me talk, it's, it's going to be, it's on, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, so I've always like looked at the way that these different areas have to interact with each other and they all play their very pivotal roles. Even if it is some teeth quenched teamwork at times, what is Scotland's role and what exactly does it add to UK politics? I think like historically, Scotland's always been kind of like a piggy bank, like both an intellectual and, a, and an economical piggy bank for the British system. So even, you know, back in the day of the Scottish Enlightenment, right? Like they owned that, right? Or owned a piece of it. Um, just like the clearances, like there's always, there's been there was the great clearances, right? And all these things, but there's all been different iterations of, of clearances uh, since then, just to, you know, you think about how the oil, like drilling for more oil, that's not something Scotland wants and it's in Scottish waters, but it's in British waters. So all, all of these kind of things are completely out of the hands of people who live here and, and live on the economy. Um, there's a lot of, I just see like there's a, definite difference in values and how people live those values. I think there's a lot of people in England who are unhappy with the system and have good values and everything. But what I try and always say is like, I think like Scotland being independent would help you fix it. How are you going to fix it right now? Like, that's what I can't see is I, you know, um, and like, if you think about how like Gordon Brown or how Tony Blair's like, chief advisor they're they're both scottish usually the like the best and the brightest from scotland would go down and make their name in westminster mm. or they go down to london and i think there's a big push to not be like that anymore and to keep talent here and along with that i think about post-brexit 
Which, if if nothing else, even the most ardent, um, I I can't remember the term that that Neil used for him. Um, no campaigner, I guess. I mean, uh, uh, the, the fo- folks who were um, really wedded to the idea of Scotland remaining in the United Kingdom got real hard to deny this connection after Brexit when Scotland votes overwhelmingly to stay in the EU and the UK just says like, fuck you (laughs) for pretty much what kind of realignment has that brought about in Scottish politics, not just around the independence question, but just in general, like what, what kinds of changes does something that seismic bring? Well, I could, I could say that like it's made, because I'm a newcomer, right? I wasn't, like Neil said, what, 2001, he started campaigning for independence? Or was it 2011? So something like that. That dude's been campaigning so, since he could walk, man. I don't yeah. even know. <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. And I was opinionated since I could walk. I wasn't always necessarily politically opinionated, but um, I came a little bit later to the game, and I see people that are so impatient, and they see independence as like a goal. And a lot of those people aren't happy. Like, they're not unhappy is not the right way to put it because like they can't see that the pandemic is not like a ripe environment to win a referendum right you can't can't run a referendum during a pandemic because not when you don't have the power of the media not when you don't have all the the money the monetary the fiscal stuff um that people will vote no just because of that so there's a sense of urgency i think like it's it's matured in certain ways is that um, there are the people who who want to see more urgency, but like there was a breakaway party that that kind of formed with Alex Salmond. That's mostly people that are like, we want to just do this and we don't care about reality. And and really, I don't agree with them, but you need that, right? Like to for progress, you need the people you don't agree with to be doing their thing, to exert pressure in a different way, right? The, the Scottish Greens are a lot more... Um, on the left in the SNP and they're like pulling, pulling to the left. And while some of us from the inside are pushing, pushing to the left, um, there's, I think competence has been valued for a long time. And sometimes that's at the detriment of like everything, because sometimes I think it's like, what's the safe thing to do is the way that things are, you know, maybe that's all governments, but like there's been a, a bit of a hesitance so like the independence movement has kept gaining strength and like maturity. I think, um, I think that the unionist parties really struggle like the Lib Dems. There's hardly any representatives from Scotland and, and they're really from like the islands from the Shetlands and the Orkneys where they just are different, right? Just like different parts of the U S are different. Shetland and the Orkneys are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lib Dems up there are different than the Lib Dems from like Edinburgh. Um, Scottish labor is very split. Like there are socialists in labor and there's the centrists and, and they kind of have their divisions doing that. And the Scottish Tories, I, they just, they sit there and they rail about how people need like longer, stronger prison sentences and, and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, that you're just like, they're like, they want everything open for everyone always. They don't want any pandemic restrictions because they don't want to hurt businesses. And who cares if people die? Because that's what conservatives think, right? Like, oh, so I don't know if that answered your question at all. 
Oh, it, it did. And it also makes me think, uh, alluding to something that you talked about earlier, I wonder if one of the challenges that some pro-independence forces have is the fact that a lot of the sharpest political minds do ship down to London and do end up working in posts in Westminster, which isn't to say that there ain't competence in who remains. I mean, of course there is. But it also means that when it comes to things like how do you frame a pro-independence message, not not just in a pandemic, but also maybe this ain't as much of a factor now, but I remember about three or four years ago and talking to, um, interviewing some folks who had actually campaigned for independence from the outside, outside of the country. And they said, you know, as much as, as much as Brexit really, I think, spurred on the cause, this just is not the time for a referendum just because of political fatigue. You know, this is like 2018, the 2017 election has happened. We're around the corner from all these snap elections. You know, Brexit ain't that far in the rearview mirror. And being able to navigate that and being able to come up with politically savvy ways to do that, that takes a lot of, um, a lot of experience, a lot, a lot of knife sharpening doing that. And if your people who are best suited to do that ain't staying in the country, in a way, it's almost like a political brain drain. And that makes that even more difficult in, in my mind. Yeah, I think I think if you look at the people that are at the top of the different parties down in Westminster, um, they used to have a lot more Scottish people on the benches, whereas now there's a lot of people from the S&P in Westminster, right, that are elected. Um, and even then, some people, some independence boards are like, we shouldn't be in Westminster. We should be like Sinn Féin and, and refuse to take our seat, which I don't I don't actually agree with. I think that you'd have to campaign on that and get elected on that to not sit personally, um, like consent from the people who voted for you. Um, but I do think like some people are like, oh, they're just, you know, warming their feet down at Westminster. Like I, I don't, I know a couple MPs that would, that, you know, they're dying to get to Scotland and, and to get out of Westminster job or no job, but you know, that's going to be, it's going to be a great day when we get to, a lot of there, I think. <laughs> yeah, and we're uh, going to come back to that. So stick with us. We'll be right back with World Beat. Oh. 